Good to be with you. I, we were talking amongst um, some of the guys uh, this, this evening, and uh, apparently the last time I was uh, with you guys um, was uh, this time before Thanksgiving last year. So uh, it's good. It's, it's good. I, I obviously have a very thankful heart, and Pastor Jacob asked me to preach just before Thanksgiving every single year. So I don't know if that's going to become a tradition, Pastor Jacob, but anyway. If you're joining us online, a very special welcome to you. You guys are special. You're awesome. Thank you so very much for being part of Victory Life Church from wherever you are. So whether you're joining us in the UK, Debs, you're staying up far too late just to watch this broadcast, but it's awesome that you're joining us from wherever you are in the world, and a very special welcome to you here at uh, Victory Life Church, the Sherman location. Can we just welcome our online team again? And it's awesome to be with you. So, interestingly, that I get to preach the very first, the very last time before Thanksgiving, because Thanksgiving for us is a brand new celebration. We we don't really usually celebrate Thanksgiving anywhere else in the world, and so it's interesting that uh, I get to speak on a on a on a process on a celebration that you guys kind of take in your stride. So what it meant was was that I went into some detail and studied up what it is that this Thanksgiving thing is all about. What is it? What is it? And, uh, well, I found out some pretty interesting things about your, your history, and I'm not going to go into that tonight, but um, it's just an awesome thing. Christmas used to be very special for me. It, it used to be the, the holiday. It was, the, it was a time that we spent with our family and friends, basking in the sun next to the pool, um, in the warmth of the African sun. Uh, and now Christmas is, is good, but it's a little bit more chilly. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we're going home for Christmas. But anyway, um, the fact is, is that um, Christmas used to be one of my most special times. And yet, after having a look at what this country does from a perspective of Thanksgiving, this is now our third Thanksgiving that we've had in this country. And you guys are blessed to be able to celebrate that special moment. You really are blessed to... And so tonight, I thought it would be really awesome if we could have a look at what we need to be grateful and content about. Because you see, when you think about it, being grateful and content is not something that generally comes to us very easily. We kind of seem to slip into the process of, of just going through the motions of life, taking one day out of our existence to say thank you to those who are special to us, to say thank you to what happened in our country, to say thank you for the things that we're grateful about, sit around a table and, and eat really well, which is one of the reasons why Thanksgiving's fast becoming one of my favorite holidays. But the fact is, is that we, we very quickly become kind of intoxicated with mediocrity. We, 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 we come very easily brought down into mediocrity. And, and we might be sitting at home right now, and, and even that browser window just behind the one that you're using to watch this broadcast might be jam-packed with things that you normally do that's entrapped you, and you're about to go back from this browser window to something else that's just going to pull you back into mediocrity. You might be going home tonight and be thinking to yourself, well, it's all good and well. I'm, I'm just stuck in the, in the process of life, and I don't really know what I'm content and happy about. You see, when we have peace about who we are, we don't go looking for things to fill the gap. When we have peace about who we are, we don't need to go and find things of this world to fill in us what God has placed in us. And so when you think about this Thanksgiving moment, what are we genuinely content about? What are we, what are we genuinely grateful for? 
And I thought of a scripture that we might want to start off with, and that is in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 to 7. And if you have a look at that scripture, it says, don't worry about anything. We can stop there. <laughs> I know Pastor Jacob could probably preach for about four sessions on just that one sentence. I'm, I'm sure he's thinking of Dallas Willard quotes as we speak. But the fact is that instead of worrying, look at what it says. It says we need to pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Thank him for all that he has done. So I got to asking, what are we thanking God for? What has he done? Oh, well, you know, he gives us life every day, and every morning we wake up and we can, we can breathe, and every morning we can say thank you for our children, and every morning. But you know what? God did so much more than just give you stuff. He did so much more than just give you stuff. You see, when you have a look at the process, gratitude, this deep sense of gratitude, is formed in a heart of contentment. Contentment for what God has done. Deep sense of gratitude is formed in a heart of contentment. Thankfulness is found amidst peace. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never really thought about that. We might give thanks often, but do we have a sense of thankfulness deep-seated within us based on the peace because of what God has done for us? Have we got this deep sense? Now, I don't know about you, but I often take my motor vehicle over to an oil lube um, and have the oil replaced. And whenever I get my car keys back from having that process done, well, then obviously I say thank you. And I go outside after they've announced my name in the shopping center. And, and I'm not going to say the name of the shopping center because you online might not have one of those shopping centers. But those shopping centers in the United States, after about 11 o'clock at night, are pretty scary places. But we won't get into that discussion. It would be crazy if I received a set of motor vehicle keys for my vehicle and then walked outside and I didn't get the same vehicle and it was in a worse condition than my vehicle. I wouldn't have a deep sense of peace that was deep-seated in my heart that would want to say, thank you. I would stand and I would make a point of not saying thank you because I don't have that sense of contentment. I don't have that sense of peace for what they've done because they've done something that hasn't given me what I wanted. And as a result... I lose my sense of peace. I lose my sense of contentment. So what is it then that I'm supposed to go before the Lord and say, thank you for? What has he done? What has he done to my motor vehicle? What has he, what is he, he's not going to give me something second rate. He's not going to give me something that's not what I asked him for. But what has he done that we need to have this deep sense of commitment and contentment, a commitment to contentment for? And if we can just jump back to that scripture in Philippians chapter 4, it says this, that once you've got this process of contentment, knowing what God, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So it's all kind of linked. I've got to have this contentment. That contentment is going to give me peace. And when I have that peace, I'm going to be thankful, and I'm going to know that God has done something for me 
through Christ Jesus. But I still don't know what he's done. I, I still don't get it. I still, I still have this, this feeling that, hang on, maybe I'm, I'm missing something. You see, when, when we have a look at it, the definition or the opposite, let's go into some definitions and see if we can figure out what it is that God has done for us. The definition of discontentment now is a lack of satisfaction with one's possessions, status, or situation. Fair? I would be discontent if I got the wrong keys when I went to have my motor vehicle changed. I'd be discontent with the situation, right? Discontentment, however, was at the heart of man's fall. If you think about what Satan did to Eve, he made her believe that the status that she was in wasn't good enough. He made her believe that the, the state that she was in, she should have a right to be discontent with her current situation and reach over into another realm and take that which does not belong to her. He wanted to convince her that the, the, the thing that God had promised her, the thing that God had done for her, she shouldn't be grateful for. And all he did was he placed a seed of discontentment which you and I still have in the inside of us. All humans come from this place of, I'm not good enough. Have a look at how he did it. You see, he, he, he went along and, he, and in, 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 the, in the scripture in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 4, he said, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman and then he said, I'm not going to chop the TV. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God. You're not like God right now. You need to be like God, what God has done for you. And he troubled her sense of peace. He, he, he wobbled her sense of contentment. He made her think that that which he, 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 that she had give, been given by God was no longer good enough. He, he, he made her think that, hang on, maybe there's something more. And he tempted her to think that her current state was insufficient. He tempted her and made her think that maybe she could get matters done in her own hands better than God had done for her. Ouch. He, he made her believe just for a moment that the God hole on the inside of her would be better filled by herself rather than God. Have you ever had that? Taken matters into your own hands and then slapped yourself about the head afterwards and said, why didn't I just leave God to do that? We just had a whole series on the things that we should leave to God and the things that we should take on ourselves. You see, when we take on the things that God should have done for us, we rattle our contentment. We become restless because we kind of think, well, hang on, I'm not content anymore. I need to do things my own way. And as a result, we push God's way out of the way. And then we wonder why we feel even more discontent and why we reach in even more to do it our way. And we get into the cycle which actually breeds mediocrity and absolutely zero blessings. And so we have a look at the scripture again and again. And I realize that mankind has decided to reach over the lines of authority. You see, he convinced Eve, that the authority, the position that she had with God, the authority that he had given her, wasn't enough. 
And that she needed to reach over into the authority of the Most High God to try and get what she wanted. And mankind's done that all over the place. You think about what mankind has done. He he wasn't happy with what God defined as marriage. He wasn't content with what God has defined as marriage. So he reached over and changed the rules to make him feel better. And look at the mess. He wasn't happy with God governing himself, so he reached over and said, Hey, God, give us a king, please. We want our own governance. And we even look around at some of the best governments in the world today, and even those ones are a mess. Because we've reached over, discontented with what God has done for us, we've reached over and started sorting out matters in a realm that God has authority Mankind has tried to define what life is and when life starts and when life can end in the womb. He doesn't have authority. Satan's just convinced him that the definition of life that God has given him is not right. And he needs something more. He's discontent with what God has explained to be life, death, marriage, governance. And as a result, mankind has overstepped the line of his authority. You see, we can jump up and down as much as we like and say, all authority has been given us through Jesus Christ. Yes, but you know what? We, we still do not have the same authority as Jesus. Can we agree with that? We're going to get into that in a few moments. But when we take authority over things that only God has authority over, we establish a sense of contentment based on self-achievement. You think about it. When God doesn't do it for me, I can do it for myself. And when I think I've got there, I go, look at me. Look at what I've done. And that lasts, in my world, all of about 3.5 to 3.6 seconds. I've timed it. And then that scripture comes down, pride comes before a crash. And I realized that, hang on, I've reached over, I've extended my authority based on my discontent, based on my unthankfulness, based on on understanding that I'm not really grateful for what God has accomplished or will accomplish, and I've taken it over into my own hands. Am I the only sinner in the room? Okay. There's a book called Space for God, and... Don Postema writes in that book, not much in our society stimulates us to such appreciation that engenders genuine contentment. Instead of suggesting that we give thanks, TV advertising encourages us to be greedy for more gifts. Periodicals tell us of the many things we could own but don't, and our neighbors describe their latest purchases in detail. If we listen to all of these voices, we won't feel much gratitude. Instead, we'll start thinking that we have to practically let this right. Instead, we, have to, we start thinking that we have to, that we have practically, I'm reading these two, you see that? I, I thought that maybe, anyway. Um, we have practically nothing and we need to get more and do more. Can I read that last section again because I really messed it up? <laughs> if we listen to all of these voices, we won't feel much gratitude. Instead, we'll start thinking that we have practically nothing and need to get more and do more. Get more and do more. And when we look around at our Thanksgiving tables, we look around at all that we have achieved for the year. We look at the family that we have, 
we have gathered and raised. We look at the wonderful blessings and provisions that, that our hard work has provided. And we look and we go next year, well, maybe we can do a little bit more. Maybe we can have a little bit more. Maybe we can, we can reach in a little bit more and dig a little bit deeper to get a little bit more on that table. And all we're doing is operating in the space of discontentment, the same discontentment that Satan sowed into Eve's heart so that she would reach over and meddle in things that she had no right to meddle in. Ouch. And you see, when we look at it, the whole world is wired this way. In fact, Timothy tells us very similarly in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that, that the whole world is going that way. He says in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful. Unthankful. No gratitude. Discontented, discontented with what is happening in the world. And wanting to go out on their own and reach in and do it themselves. And it goes on and just completely trashes society. Unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal despises of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And here's the kicker. From these people turn away. Run away from ungrateful people. Run away from people who are caught in the cycle of being not contented with what God has done for them. The boundaries of our authority are limited. God has placed in us the boundaries of these authority, but there are limitations to what we can do and what we can fix. Why? Because if we do it on our own, we will never be grateful to God for what He does. If we operate in the space of being discontent, we will always be chasing the things that God is supposed to be doing in our lives. The, one, the things that He really wants to do in our lives. The things that He really gets up in the morning excited to do in our lives. Well, it's just going to be for naught because we're going to have done it ourselves. And we're going to have 3.5 seconds of glory. And then it's going to be gone. And then we're going to go back and go, God doesn't love me. God, I'm obviously, doing, I'm obviously sinning. I've obviously got something wrong in my life. I, I, I must, God, maybe God doesn't even exist. And we stamp our little ungrateful foot and we go, well, then I'm just going to have to do it my way. And we reach over into places of authority that only God has the right to reach into. We've been given certain authority by simply being human. By simply being human, you have authority. We can plant seeds in the ground and watch crops grow. We can take intellectual authority over the animals. We can apply our creative minds to the secular and, and things that we do to build business and commerce. We have great authority over this world. But you see, when we have a look at the end of that scripture, it says that we, can we go back there? Sorry, one slide back. That when we start working in the authority outside of our boundaries and we are unthankful for what God has done, have a look at this. The scripture says that these kinds of people reject the power that could make them godly. Say with me, power. There's no power in doing it yourself. There's absolutely zero power in trying to do it without God. God is the only one 
who can transform you from whatever situation you're in right now, from whatever is holding grips over you. He's the only one that can give you the power to close that browser window, not go to that pornographic site, not have a look at that gambling issue, not go down the road of adultery, not go down the road of being trapped by things that the world is holding over us to make us believe that there's more and we should do it ourselves. You have the power. Don't reject the authority that God has because when we accept the authority that God has, we are empowered. We're not losing anything. Satan told Eve a lie. Stop believing it. You know that it's impossible for Satan to tell the truth? Just as much as it's impossible for God to tell a lie, Satan cannot tell the truth. He will try and make you believe what is staring you in the face is wrong over and over and over again. Only Jesus Christ has the kind of authority that we need to be grateful, thankful, and content. And only He gives it to us. The world has tried to take authority over many things that they have no right to take. But we do it every day. We decide if we're going to forgive or not. But forgiveness is in God's realm of authority. We try and judge whether or not someone's a good enough Christian or not. But looking at the heart is God's authority. We try and believe that we can make our money go as long and as far as we want to. But we do it our way, not God's way, and then we blame God for not blessing us abundantly. What's with that? You see, we, we come to the table at, at Thanksgiving and we go, wow, this is so, God has been so good. But all through the year, we've been dipping into areas of authority that God has control over. If we could just keep our fingers to ourselves in the line of authority and divine authority, can you imagine how good your next Thanksgiving will be? I'd never really looked at, at authority and gratitude as being in the same page. I'd never really looked at being thankful and content and then had a look at what, I, what it was driving me to do. Am I making the point? You see, because if I'm discontent, I'm going to look for ways to do it myself. And that's the very thing that we shouldn't be doing. When I'm discontent, I'm going to be looking for ways. Have a look at this prayer you know well, the serenity prayer. You all know the serenity prayer? Have a look carefully at the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity, the peace, the gratitude, the contentment. Grant me that to accept the things I cannot change, to accept that I don't have authority over everything, that I've got some authority, but I don't have divine authority yet. To accept the things that cannot change. And courage to change the things that I can. To pick up the things that you're supposed to be doing. Like going to work and getting a job. Like leading your family well. Like being a good mother and a good father. Like honoring your mother and your father. Let me do the things I do have authority and have been given the permission by God to do. And let me have the courage to do those things. But you see, because we don't actually, we're not actually designed to do the things that God has done, when we try and reach in and take authority in His realm, it's actually pointless. It's kind of like a cop-out. It's kind of like saying, oh, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord to provide. 
I'm waiting for him to drop that, that ton of money on my front doorstep. And in the meantime, I'm just going to sit here on my armchair and vegetate. Until God comes through. You see, it's a cop-out. We are never going to be able to activate the power that God can activate through His authority, but we use it as an excuse not to get done what we have been asked to do. And then the serenity prayer goes on and he says this, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, and then it goes on, taking as he did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. I'm content that this world is doomed and I don't have to have any part of it. So why do I let it affect me? Why do I let it influence me if it's, if it's going nowhere? The whole world is lying in the power of the wicked one, and we know that the wicked one has been destroyed. Therefore, this world and this system of self-orientation and trying to teach you that everything you've got is not good enough, you better reach in and get some more, is going to fall away. Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. You see, surrendering to his will means that you are able to say, I'm no longer subscribing to the world telling me that I have rights over God's principles. That I have rights over God's commandments. I'm yet to obey God and not come off best. I don't know how it's working for you at home and line, but I, I've certainly tried doing things my own way. 3.6 seconds later, I realized that there's a better way. I realized that there must be a better way because I certainly didn't feel any more contented by doing it my way. And so when you look at it, this prayer really unlocks a thought process of saying, well, hang on, being discontent with the authority that God has given me is a danger. Don't let Satan tell you that what God has given you is not enough. Oh, well, Craig, I'll never amount to much. My father always said that I'll never be good enough. I don't think that I've got the kinds of gifts that are needed for me to play in the praise and worship team. Trust me, I sing so badly in the shower that the water does a U-turn and goes back into the pipe. <laughs> You have been given everything you need to have a contented, peaceful, productive, vibrant life. Amen. Don't let Satan come along and tell you that it's not enough. Amen. Be content with the authority that you've been given. Be content that the reason God has got the authority that he's got is because he is the most high God. You know, when God judges, he judges with mercy and wisdom and love. Not just power and a, and a rod. People will come along and tell you, I can't worship God. He just judges you and has a whole set of rules. Well, I'd rather obey his rules and stick to those rules and have the kind of abundant life that comes from being obedient than have your rules and have your kind of life. And then he had that serenity prayer ends that I may be reasonably happy in this life. Trust us. Our kingdom's not part of this world. We're never going to feel completely content and happy in this world. There's always going to be a niggle and, a, and, a, and an itchiness and a, I don't really fit in here because you've been called to eternity and this world is set for death. We're never going to match, but we can be reasonably happy now 
and ecstatically happy then. You see, we're investing long-term, not just to the next Thanksgiving. We're investing, and we are backing, and we are glorifying God's authority now. John Piper backs up what it says. In, let's read 1 John 4, verse 4 first. 1 John 4, verse 4 says this. You are of God, little children, and have, over, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We know the scripture, right? So what that means for you at home who might be joining us for the very first time online and this is the first time you've ever done church or maybe you've done church for the first time in a very long time, what that scripture means, and you've probably heard it over and over and over again, it means that Jesus has more authority than you do. It means quite simply that he can achieve more for you than you can try in your discontented way achieve for yourself. You see, Jesus has more authority than we do. And John Piper backs it up when he, when he says this. So yes, the Son of God always had total authority in the heaven and on earth. But when he had done the great work of redemption once for all, God exalted him as the God-man, the Redeemer, the Risen One to his right hand. And now, as never before, has put the rule of the universe, the rule of the universe when heaven meets earth. The rule of the universe into the hands of a man, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary, son of God. You see, Jesus has more authority than we do. Jesus has more wisdom than we do. You can cry evolution until you're blue in the face. I know that when Jesus spoke for the first time in the creation process, there was a big bang. A huge bang. When God said E equals MC squared for the very first time, there was explosions of light all around the galaxy, and Jesus was the one that that was coming through. I think Jesus has a wee bit more authority than I do. I think he knows a little bit more about being content in the face of pain, in the face of hardship, in the face of trouble than I do. I think he's got a little bit more endurance in following through the principle of authority in the face of hardship, even though when it's tough, we want to give up and do it our own way. He's got a little bit of an inkling more about being faithful to the end than I do. Because he is man. He understood man. He knows man. He came to live as a man for that very reason. So that it wouldn't be some deity in the sky saying, thou shalt or thou shalt not. No, it was Jesus the Word who understood us now, understood us then, and will always understand us, telling us what we need to do. Why? Because He came to give you an abundant life. Not a life trapped by the power of this world, but a life completely and utterly wrapped up in the power of the heavens. That's the life he's come to give you and I, not because he has to, but because he wants to. You see, Jesus has authority over everything, including eternal life. John chapter 17 and verse 2 tells us quite categorically that God has given him authority over all of us and has the ability to give you eternal life. Now, I know what it's like to lie in bed and worry about how you're going to provide eternal life for the world. It's tough, but we do. 
We lie in bed worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow and how am I going to get through this and how am I going to get through that? And Jesus is carrying the entire eternity on the back of his shoulders and he knows exactly what you need to do if you'll just listen and give him the authority to direct you. And then we can operate in a place of peace. And remember, gratitude comes from a place of peace. But while you're worried, while you're stressing, while you're trying to make it your own way, well, you're going to be looking for other ways to fulfill the desires that God has placed in you. You're going to be finding other ways to fill the God hole. And I don't know about you, but when I try and fill that hole myself, it goes a bit pear-shaped. pretty quiet in here now because we fill things with habits that enslave us to the world's power that bottle that 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 powder that we have to shove into our bodies that cigarette that we have to smoke with all sorts of stuff jammed in it those websites that we have to go to to make ourselves feel good ouch you see that's operating out of a space of no thankfulness to what God is doing. That's operating out of a space of no gratitude. That's reaching into authority that we have no right to reach into. So Jesus has got the power over every single one of us, even even everlasting life. Luke chapter 9 and verse 1 tells us that Jesus has given the right us the right to use that power. One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power, dunamis, dynamite, boom. If you beep beep the roadrunner, kaboom. <laughs> Dunamis power. Not fake, cheesy, eat the fruit and you'll feel better and feel terrible about 3.6 seconds later power. No, power. Power to wake up in the middle of difficulties, consider it all joy. That kind of power. And you know what else? He even give, gave you your concealed carry license for that kind of power. You might carry one of those, but I carry some divine dunamis with me, and I've got the authority to use it. Two different Greek words. I don't have to come up with the authority. I don't have to come up with the power. I don't have to decide what I need to do. God has given me the power, the know-how, and the authority to have a powerful life. And for that, I am eternally grateful. I don't have to lie in bed at night worrying about where, how am I going to get up and face this? I pick up my stick of dynamite and I go, I know how to use this. I'm good to go. Because Jesus has given me the authority to be good to go. He's given me the authority to cast out all demons. Now there's a Zulu word. That's chokas. Chokha. Come on, you guys can't do that. It's a word made which means disgusting creatures. Things that crawl out at you at night. Things that keep you awake, worrying if other people will perhaps find out about them. He's given you the authority right now to close that browser and never be under its power again. He has given you that power. 
Don't try and take power from the things of this world. That's just chochas. That's more Zulu. We will get into that later. You see, every authority or earthly authority is using the power that God has given us, but spiritual authority is the right to use God's power. God's not checking in whether or not when you put something in the ground, if it still grows. That authority he's given you. He's not checking on a few things about earthly authority. No, he's already given you all that authority. Spiritual authority is the right to use God's power, which is dunamis. It's wow power. It's impressive power. And if we reach into our power source, we're never going to have the kind of power that God has given us the authority to have. You see, Jesus has conquered so much, and we operate in His authority. When we submit to Jesus' authority, according to 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, well, then we have even power over emotional healing. According to Psalm 103 verse 3, when we submit to Jesus' power, we have the ability to heal our diseases. When we submit to Jesus' power, well, then we have the power to overcome shame and condemnation and guilt. When we submit to Jesus' power, then we have the ability to tell Satan where to get off and never come back. When we submit to Jesus' authority, then we have the power to go further than the human psyche has ever been or thought it could. We have the power to operate under the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not the power and the atmosphere of this world. When we can just submit to the power of Jesus Christ in our lives and not try and do it for ourselves, let me tell you, you will have a thanksgiving like no other. And so I pray that every single one of us can bend the knee this Thanksgiving and give thanks to a God who's given us power far beyond what our authority actually allows us to carry. We don't deserve this life. We don't deserve this authority. But if we operate in that sense of gratitude for the power that Jesus has over our lives... Instead of bulking at it, people at home, people in the audience, how often don't we bulk at the power that God has? People are coming up with theories and philosophies daily to try and exclude God from their life. There's a whole theory right now that says the power of God is in the collective of the human race. That's where God is. Well, I want to ask those people who came up with that, how is it working for them? Because I don't see the human race as a whole thriving as much as it could if it just listened to, to the power and the authority of Jesus. We need to take back the authority that Jesus has placed in us over our marriages, over our children, over our manhood, over our womanhood. We need to take back the authority that we've given away to try and get something that doesn't exist. We've given away our authority on earth and the things that God wants us to mind so that we can try and mind what we want. You see, God just wants you to appreciate that He's thou shalt and thou shalt not are for your benefit. Can't we just bend the knee to a divine creator who has literally been there and done that, who knows all things, is wise to all things, understands your heart with everything that he is.
This is a creator that wants you to thrive in abundance. He's given us Jesus Christ to let us know that he understands us and he gets us. He doesn't want to leave you behind. He doesn't want to trip you up. He doesn't want to find fault. He's not looking for reasons to exclude you from eternity. He's looking for reasons to include you. He's not looking at your sin to say you are useless, pathetic, and you'll never amount to much. No, he calls you from that, and he says, I want you to do more, and I'm going to give you everything you need to achieve that. He doesn't leave you to your own devices. No, he gives you power and authority to use that power. Why? Because he wants you to sit at the table of thanksgiving and be content that his authority is his authority, and our authority is our authority. And when we can get the two to work together, there's great power, dunamis, that will happen in your life and in my life. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we have a lot to be thankful for. We say to you tonight that, that we are completely and utterly amazed by you. We submit to you. We bend the knee to you. And we say everything that you have told us, we will no longer question. We need some of you in our lives. We need to reestablish the authority equilibrium in our lives. It's kind of out of balance sometimes. Thank you for restoring us. Thank you for giving us this power and this ability. Thank you that we can have peace and that we can be grateful and that we can be content knowing that you've got things in hand. Father, can we pray this simple prayer from wherever we are in the world together? Say it with me. Father, more of you and less of me. Amen. Amen. You see, when we know that God sent his only begotten son, I think it's only apt that from wherever we are in the world, whether you're at home sitting in your favorite armchair or huddling around a, a Starbucks coffee table, or whether we're in the room, that, that we come to this table of thanksgiving before we hit any other table of thanksgiving. You see, when we come to our table of thanksgiving, we're giving thanks for the provisions. We're giving thanks for what God has done. We're giving thanks for our history. We're giving thanks for our culture. And it doesn't matter if you're in any other part of the world and thanksgiving tomorrow isn't a big celebration. I think you know what we mean by coming to the table of true thanksgiving. You see, when we take of a piece of bread and we drink of the cup of Jesus, we're admitting and we're saying, Jesus, you were real. Jesus, you were genuine. Jesus, you were believed in this so much that you shed your blood to let us know that you would never renege on this promise of power. We, we don't come to this table. It's not a mournful table. It's, it's not a sad table. Jesus, in John chapter 17, just at this time when he was telling his disciples to keep doing this in remembrance of me, he prayed a prayer where he exposed the promises that he would make on your behalf to the Father. And he said, you know what, Father? Because I'm in you, I will be in those that you give me. Those that 
say yes to the authority of God, I will be in them. I will be with them. You see, we often look at, at that prayer by Jesus and, and we wonder, what does it mean for Jesus to be our intercessor? Will you go ahead and read John chapter 17 and you will see that Jesus is praying the prayer that he is in you, enabling you, giving to you, providing for you all the time. That's what he's saying to the Father. He's saying, don't look at the sin, look at the potential. Don't look at the sin, look at the tomorrow. Don't look at the sin, look at what the Holy Spirit's doing. Don't look at the sin, I died for the sin. And he's reminding all the time, not the Father because the Father knows, but he's reminding us by saying those things that we have nothing to be ashamed of when we come to this table of thanksgiving. He has taken the shame, the discontentment out of it. So this thanksgiving as we pray, we have lots to be thankful for. And if we could just be truly, peacefully content and thankful, we will look more to this table than the table of anything that we can spread out. The simple table of Jesus' body and blood that was broken and shed for you. And if you're at home and you've never ever done communion before, this is the first time that you've ever thought of doing communion just a piece of bread and a glass of water, whatever you can find to eat and drink, it's okay. It's not really Jesus' body and blood. It just symbolizes that he really came, he really died, and he was really resurrected so that you could have a different kind of life than you've been having before. And maybe this is the first time you've realized that by submitting to Jesus and not submitting to who you are, that you can have a different, abundant, better kind of life. Well, right now, there's people in the chat room that would love to pray with you and lead you to that kind of life. It's not a scary moment. It's an exciting moment. And you might want to take a piece of bread and some water and celebrate that moment with all of these people here in this room right now. As they come forward and they receive Thanksgiving bread, the body of Jesus Christ, Thanksgiving blood, the covenant of Jesus Christ together. All over the world right now as we come forward know that there are people getting up from watching this broadcast and are taking communion just like you and celebrating at the table of thanksgiving. So come forward and receive and know that Jesus' body and blood was broken and shed for you.
thanksgiving to the Lord. We sing thank you, Jesus. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us strip off anything and everything that makes us discontent. Let us press forward. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. This is what it means to take communion. It means that we take a moment and we focus our eyes on Jesus. And we say, Jesus, you came and you were willing to die so that I could have a life of eternity, of purpose, of passion, and of power. Take, eat, and know this is Jesus' body broken for you. Never before 
will the earth ever be the same. You see, from the moment that that first drop of blood hit the earth, it changed everything. It made an eternal covenant with you and with me that would change the world. This blood, this drop of blood that we symbolize in this little cup with that little bit of water that you've got at home means that God's yes will always be his yes and his no will always be his no. But whether it's a yes or a no, it will always be for you. Take and drink, for this is his blood that was shed for you. Jesus, we thank you that because you have your authority, that you have given us the power of that authority and the right to use that power, that we are not captured by this world. We are not captured by the things of this world. We are not captured by the discontentment of this world. But because of your body and your blood, we have peace, we have contentment, and we are thankful. In Jesus' name we pray. And the great cloud of witnesses said, Amen, Amen. May the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the wonder and the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit be with you as you celebrate all around the world tomorrow and every other day the thankfulness that we have in the heart for Jesus. But here, as we celebrate in the United States, this Thanksgiving celebration now has a whole new meaning of gratitude and contentment for what Jesus is doing for you and for me every day of our lives. Be blessed and have a wonderful Thanksgiving.